Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hey, everybody. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 2, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea. Roy returns to his old club while Richmond returns to the Premier League with an opening match at Stamford Bridge. On the pitch, Richmond falls to an early deficit. In the locker room, Roy has to patch things up with longtime nemesis Trent Krim, who is now writing a book about the team. In the stands and in the stalls, Rupert and then Rebecca try to sweet talk slash sour yell highly coveted striker Zava to join their teams. So it feels like as much as people enjoyed the first episode, they enjoyed this one even more. And for me personally, what I really enjoyed was all the callbacks to episode 103, Trent Krim, The Independent. I've said many times that this is the first episode where I really felt that, holy shit, this Ted Lasso show is special. And I think this is best exemplified by the chat that Roy and Trent had where they aired out their beef. You might remember in that episode 103, when Roy's leaving with Phoebe, he says to Trent, you're a prick and you always have been. And then we see exactly why when he pulls out this newspaper clipping that he's kept in his wallet for decades, where Trent fucking slandered him in his first ever game. I just thought that was absolutely brilliant writing to tie that from two seasons ago to today and have it just make perfect sense. I also noticed a bunch of callbacks to different seasons and different episodes. I loved that scene between Roy and Trent in the shower stall um, because it was really touching, but it's we're getting to see Roy kind of process and express his emotions in a way that we haven't been before. We haven't really been treated to that forthcoming as much. And for Roy to tell Trent, because Ted urged him to, I thought showed a lot of growth uh, on Roy's part. And I loved seeing that. And I loved hearing about the backstory. I feel like this episode was so full of getting a glimpse into more of the histories of so many of the characters that I thought that scene was chef's kiss. So good and poignant. I will say that I'm very impressed that when confronted with how he had hurt Roy when he was young and he slandered him, he took immediate ownership and said what he had done and that he was sorry. And And for Roy to say that's all right so immediately was a little surprising to me. But then, of course, he followed back up with his dig. I love that accountability is the name of the game in Ted Lasso and watching people be held, you know, held them, hold themselves accountable for their actions is uh, is pretty fantastic. It's basically just helping us all become better human beings. (laughs) by example and somehow still funny i love how roy still managed to sneak a dig at the end how he said back then we both thought the other person was shit at their jobs in a weird way trent slandering roy probably helped him with his career because he's kept that shit for decades and it probably motivated him in the games where he thought that he wasn't going to do too good he had to prove that prick wrong so i guess Semi shout out to Trent. Semi shout out to Trent. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Definitely Roy's anger is what makes him great. As Nate said, that's his superpower. That is his superpower. Yes, indeed. So of course, before Roy talked to Trent, Ted had to convince him to do the right thing. And initially, I was kind of surprised that Roy took it in stride so well. But then in a less direct callback to that same episode, 103 Trent Crane, The Independent, you might remember in that Roy goes to Ted to tell him that Jamie and his side pricks are picking on Nate, but Ted doesn't do anything about it. So Roy has to take it into his own hands. And then in the next episode in the gala, 
Ted's plan to make Jamie and Roy hash things out, Roy admits that this shit that Yankee Doodle was peddling. So almost from the beginning, Roy understood and respected what Ted was trying to do with his coaching style of the team. So given that, it actually made sense that Roy listened to him and squashed the beef with Trent. Absolutely. And how about that Hallmark Christmas movie explanation? That was one of several laugh out loud moments for me. I've actually never seen a Hallmark movie. Neither have I, but I, you know, if you get the gist of it, you get the gist of it, right? So a fun scene was when Roy returns to Stanford Bridge and he greets the steward, Bruce. Mike Golick Jr., a sports media personality, formerly of ESPN, he tweeted that Ted Lasso has gotten a lot of sports things right through the first two seasons, but this moment is officially my favorite. And then he goes on to elaborate that every day before practice at Notre Dame, I shake hands with one of our ushers named Roger. He was the last friendly face I see before I go get my ass chewed at practice. And he's the same friendly face I still see every time I go back to campus. Part of why it feels like home. So seems like uh, they did uh, really good with the details there in terms of Roy returning to his old club. And you can tell that Roy actually liked Bruce because he actually flashed the rarest of rare things, a Roy can't smile. Oh, the rare Roy can't smile. And Roy's standing there looking both humble and a little bit regretful while the fans are singing his chant, while Keeley looks on, was, was a heartbreaker. It broke my heart. I thought I was, you know, it was one of those, those emotional moments. You go from laughing to crying. There's a really great quote about that. Dolly Parton in Steel Magnolias says, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. And that sums up Ted Lasso for me. Yeah, I think that quote is right on the mark when it comes to Ted Lasso. I don't know about you, Kevin, but when Ted and Trent and Roy are in the office after the day is over and Roy starts to explain about why he left Chelsea, it felt almost like it was a diamond dog's moment without being a diamond dog moment. But seeing Roy be able to express how he feels and share what he was thinking and what he was feeling was so touching. And it it was so, to me, everything that he felt about his breakup with Keely. I feel like it was just telegraphing. And Ted sitting there listening the way he always does kind of urging and holding space for people to discover parts of themselves that they don't necessarily think that they're as in touch with as they are was, again, so wonderful to watch. And I really feel like that was their explanation for why he broke up with Keeley. Do you agree with me? Yeah, definitely. And I think most people were quite upset when Roy and Keeley officially broke up in the first episode. But we try to trust these writers as much as we can. And I think that they're on the right path with showing, I'm doing air quotes you can't see, showing why Roy ended it. Because like you said, that was, you could apply that exactly to the situation with Keeley. He broke up with her because he felt like maybe he wasn't enough and was worried that she'd break up with him first. So I think when he said he was talking about being on Chelsea and he couldn't keep up, and I kind of feel like that was exactly it. He couldn't keep up with her new lifestyle and thought that she would just blast past him. So he bailed instead of staying and enjoying himself. And I love that when he said, but that's not who I am. I guess. And Ted said, not yet. Everybody gets a second chance. Oh, and I, <laughs> I loved that um, all of the characters and all of the reactions about Roy and Keeley's breakup is us. They're all of us. I mean, I gasped. I almost fainted. 
I was so sad. It's uh it's been quite a it's been quite a roller coaster for me and I've been very very upset about them breaking them up. Can we sidebar about the whole Roy Jamie interaction in the boot room? It was such a beautiful callback when they're having a very important and very private conversation in the boot room and Will overhears it. So hilarious. I love that they called that back and made a joke out of it as well, but Jamie thir- you know, Jamie showing empathy to Roy instead of just going off to try to get Keely to go out with him again was unexpected. And then just all of the hilarious jokes and all of the Jamie Roy banter. I'm trying to show empathy, you dusty old fart. And then his joke about how old people are so skittish because of the war. It was so good. So good. Just so many good jokes just jam-packed in. So since we're mentioning callbacks a lot and you mentioned Diamond Dogs, that was the first time where Ted looked at Roy very affectionately batting his eyes. So it was fun to see him do that again at the end of this episode. Very cute. Yeah. I wish Jason Sudeikis would look at me like that. Gets you a man who looks at you the way Ted Lasso looks at Roy Kent. Thanks for making my joke for me. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so as I think I mentioned last episode, we are seeing the ghost of Rebecca past. She's very clearly in competition mode. She's very clearly still interested and somehow evening the score between them. And I wonder how long this will go on until she gives up the ghost, air quotes, Um, because it's fascinating to watch, but I actually wonder if she realizes that no matter, even if she beats Rupert, even if she bests Rupert at his own game, it's not necessarily going to make her feel better. I do have to say, though, that the Rebecca that wants to win and isn't sabotaging Richmond, I'm excited to see that this season, and I'm excited to see her powers being used for good, because I do feel like when she went into the bathroom and confronted Zava, that her whole speech was completely motivating and Even though she was calling him out for being a coward and not picking any team that he wanted to and calling him out for, you know, just going with the big shiny teams that he knew would win anyway, that's a huge motivator for anybody. And even though it's kind of like reverse psychology, I feel like it was a powerful speech. And I loved that she said that to him. So it's interesting because last week, Ted with his press conference to quote unquote, get back at Nate. He instead killed him with kindness, but Rebecca went in guns a-blazing. Yeah, I don't know if we could call that killing with kindness. <laughs> no. Just straight up killing. Yeah, just straight up killing. Yeah. What's awesome to me, though, is I love that she's just owning it. When Trent asked her if she was just going after Zava because Rupert wanted him, and she said, yes. I like that she's owning it. I like that she's just taking responsibility for her actions. Accountability counts. Accountability matters. To your point earlier about Rebecca still being obsessed with getting back at Rupert, Trent was there for probably not that long, and he saw through it right away. He did. And I feel like Trent is all of us. You know, he's the Greek chorus. He always makes these sweeping commentaries. That's exactly what we're all thinking. It's a perfect little narrative. All right, you're going to have to explain this to me, though. Why were the big three... Rebecca, Keeley, and Higgins also against Trent joining the team and writing this book because I thought they'd definitely be on board. But Maybe it's just the British aversion to the press. 
since the press has been so harsh with Rebecca and, um, you know, and Keely, and they've, they've not had good experiences. That's definitely a fair point. And of course, early on in Rebecca's sabotaging days, she hired Trent specifically to try to make Ted look like shit. So, yeah, I think she might be worried that Trent is still that guy looking for the worst in people to publish something that's clickworthy. And again, to go back to one of my favorite episodes, 103, Trent from the Independent, one of my favorite Ted lines was, you know, Trent, you remind me of one of those robot vacuums right now, just running around looking for dirt. Yes, that's exactly what he was up to back then. He's also got an arc and being redeemed because everybody deserves a second chance. How many times have I said that already? It's true, though. We get to see that a lot in this episode. I will qualify that. When I posted my Nate Redemption video, I said that almost everyone on the show is redeemable and deserves a second chance, except Rupert and Jamie's dad. Fuck those guys. Agreed. Fuck them. That was a callback to the Christmas episode. I was quoting Higgins. <laughs> Later in the episode, we see Rebecca talking to her mother, who says that her psychic is considering talking to her. And I think as our producer Camille tweeted, someone get Rebecca a fucking therapist. <laughs> yes. You so need maternal guidance. And obviously it's not from Deborah Wilton. No. <laughs> She's so unhinged. It's so hilarious. So at the game in the stands, Rebecca reveals the backstory of how Rupert courted her. Was this what you were expecting, Chrisanne? It was unexpected, but not surprising that Rupert manipulated her and Rupert did what he did in order to win her, even though he was married, is totally in the Rupert canon. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that he would have done that. It was interesting to, to hear her talk about it and to talk about how that made her feel and how she kind of holds herself um, responsible for getting involved with him because of the manipulation. So based on the timeline that she gave us, would that then make Rebecca Walton the other woman in Rupert's marriage? Yes, that would have made her the other woman. And in my head the whole time, I was thinking, honey, if, he, if you did it with him, what makes you think that he wouldn't do it to you? I really do feel like so many of the origin stories that we got this week were excellent in creating depth with characters. You know, we're really getting to see the origin story of how Rebecca came to be the owner of Richmond and where she is today. And I felt like that was such an important part of the overall puzzle and the overall picture. It's all deception. It's all lies. And we're getting to see that. We're getting to see, you know, Rebecca's rise to where she is now. So for our producer, Camille, she found this scene extremely resonating, and here's a quick story of why. So in the Ted Lasso teaser, when we found out about the date, when Ted turns to Beard and said, if seeing is believing, I believe we've been seen. That's exactly how I felt when Rebecca shared the backstory between her and Rupert, because as someone who has seen similar story arcs portray kind of like Rebecca's, they only focus on the aftermath. You never really see the depth of the character. You never really see how they became to be. And to me, that's why it resonated so well. 
because for once in my life, I was watching someone that went exactly the same way that I did and then explained pretty much everything that I wish I could explain to the Keely in my life, my own best friend. And when she was explaining that, it was like, wow, I wish I could play that recording when I started explaining myself years ago because Rebecca actually made me feel as if it wasn't all my fault. I wasn't crazy that I was being seen. And that's why I tweeted in all caps that it resonated with me. And to many people, it was a one minute, two minute scene. But I was, I had to pause because I couldn't really see my TV that well. That's how well it resonated with me. And I already knew Rebecca's storyline a little bit in the gal episode. But just by this backstory, it made me realize that she's the one that I see myself in. And this is the reason why. In a show that made me believe in myself again, it's such a beautiful arc. And I really have to echo the writer's room for doing that so well. Because I was had no idea where they were going. And I'm just happy that it gave people like me, with a backstory like Rebecca, a chance to be seen for who we are and not because of where we came from or how we ended up here. That's the magic, I think. That's the magic of Ted Lasso is that there are so many things that are so common. I mean, the human existence being shared and universal in so many ways that they make things, they kind of demystify or um, take away the taboo, for instance, with getting therapy. And I love that they do that. They make so much so understandable and allow ourselves to forgive ourselves or let ourselves off the hook for a way of being because they are explaining that it's there. There are reasons and to be curious and not judgmental about it, even with ourselves. One thing with Rebecca's backstory that I didn't quite expect was for her to be a bartender. Did you, Chrisanne? No, I was actually really surprised by that. I mean, but they did say that she was a bartender at a private club. So at least that was a little bit more posh, but I never expected Rebecca to be a bartender. That one was a surprise to me. Yeah, I definitely didn't see her doing anything that involved more than minimal manual labor. Yeah, that was a shocker especially because of her background. But even this they planted earlier on, because in the season two premiere, when Tez distressed about all the ties that Richmond has gotten, and he walks into her office, she asks him, she says, what do you say to a cocktail, Coach Lasso? Mm, a little foreshadowing. There's a lot of foreshadowing on the show. <laughs> There's quite a bit of foreshadowing on the show. If Roy's speech at the end of the episode is anything for thus us that are still believing and hoping in their hearts that he and Keeley will get back together. I hope that's foreshadowing. A fun note I saw on Twitter was that Christy, who went to the season three premiere in Los Angeles, where they viewed the first two episodes, she said that the crowd erupted when Rebecca started yelling at Zava. So that must have been a pretty cool experience. I can completely see why people erupted when she busted into the bathroom. It was a really bold thing for her to do. And it was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out and get this guy. She felt the urge and she acted on it. You know what that scene (laughs) with Rebecca and Zava in the bathroom made me wonder is if Rebecca will be giving out any more jobs from the toilet. You never know. If you want to work for AFC Richmond, just go to the loo. I'm always in awe of the way that 
Rebecca handles running into Rupert unexpectedly by saying, what a lovely surprise. Because if, if, as you noticed, he surprises her in past episodes and past seasons. And she says, what a lovely surprise. And she behaves with this air of quiet dignity and the way that Hannah plays that in the scene where they meet at Chelsea is so beautiful because you can see all of the the things going on in her head and all of the ways in which she is not saying the things that she might otherwise say to him because he's being such a wanker. Like that line he said was fucking terrible. It was like, just like any man get bored with the same old, same old. Like, obviously he's talking about Rebecca in addition to Richmond, but... Yes. Uh, and the way that he introduces her as his ex-wife, he was definitely doing everything in his power to manipulate Rebecca into feeling small and unworthy. Just introducing her as his ex-wife and then his crack about Nate. Such a wanker. Such a manipulative prick. I mean, he's just <sighs> the wankiest wanker to ever wank as I said before. And the swish of the trench coat when he left. It might be a little bit on the nose, but we're definitely, there's no question about the fact that he is the villain. Rupertine in the house. Rupertine is in the house. And it was so interesting to me, the set that they used. I don't know if that was part of Chelsea, but the hallway that they were doing that scene in also felt, it, it gave Star Wars vibes. So obviously it sucks to see Rebecca being treated so shittily, but must say it is always riveting television when we have Hannah Waddingham and Anthony head face to face. Yes. They're, I, I wonder what they're both thinking as they're doing the scenes too, because their chemistry on screen is just palpable. In an interview with Variety, I believe for the season three premiere in New York, the host asked Hannah about working with Anthony Head, and she said something about how, obviously, Rupert's a shitty person, but working with Anthony really brings out the Rebecca that she needs to in order to really tell the story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just one more quick note about Anthony Head. I tweeted that given that he's a regular on the show this year, he'll probably be in the mix for the supporting actor in a comedy series award which is fucking ridiculous because this category is stacked already so just from ted lasso itself obviously brett's the back-to-back -back winner jeremy's been nominated before brendan's been nominated for and then last year toheeb and nick got nominated phil has not even been nominated it's just an embarrassment of riches in terms of the acting on this show they are a gifted bunch aren't they such a solid cast so good so another really enjoyable Rebecca Welton moment was when she made that super Ted joke about Zabba Dabba Do. Like, that's the most Ted joke to ever Ted joke. It's very true. It's so delightful. It reminds me of what Sassy said in 107, Make Rebecca Great Again. How Keely was saying how she really likes Rebecca, and Sassy's like, you haven't even seen the Rebecca. The Rebecca's silly, and we're really starting to see that come out now. Yes. I'm excited to see her become softer. As soon as she lets go of all of the, the deeply held rage and vengeance towards Rupert and gets broken apart a little bit more, I think it'll be a beautiful arc. To me, this episode is really about people getting new jobs, fresh starts, doing new things. Um, 
And we see Keely fully in the Bambi on Ice mode of starting her career and starting her company. But I thought the shoot was a really, really interesting scene for a couple of reasons. Um, I love that we see Keely in her natural state, which is somebody who runs up screaming at her friends. So she's still in her core, who she always has been. And we get to meet a friend who, by the way, was dressed in the exact same outfit that Keely wore on one of her shoots when Ted visits her and feeds her the burger and gets photographed by the paparazzi in season one, episode two. And then there's also a reference to Kafka. I mean, in what other show do you have silliness and references to Kafka? I don't think there's any other show in the universe, but I digress. Back to Keely. I loved that Keely was able to set boundaries when Bab so cruelly interviewed Shandy and tell her that she can't do that. You can't, you can't speak to people here that way. You can't do that. Not only because she was her friend, but also because you can't speak to people that way. And Keely doesn't want her company to be known for that. But then instead of just going in there and reading Barbara, the, the riot act, she sees all of these snow globes and, and just reads her so well and connects with her on that human level. And we see that Keely has also always been the person to make those kinds of connections and to bring out the good side of people, you know, to always focus on what's good about a situation rather than what's negative about a situation. I've said before that Keely in season one was great. Season two, not so much. So it's good to see her going back to more the season one version. I'm curious to know your thoughts about season two, Keely. I'll just answer with one word, Sam Becca. Because she supported Sam Becca? In, was it the episode where Edwin and Khufu came? She blurted out, but she loves Sam. Like, they've been, what, together for like two weeks? Like, come on. And yet I would counter that Keely is being an amazing friend because she is standing by her friend and not judging her choice in romantic partner. Beg to differ, Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> Yes, that was pretty smooth, Kev. I bow down. It's interesting to me also to see Keely not as cocksure of herself. In season one, she was just completely full of herself, completely riding that I am a social media star wave. And to see her feeling unsure of herself, and like I said, Bambi on Ice, it's a really interesting swap and to see how she handles things not always going her way. It's a really nice, it adds a really nice depth to what we see Keely doing. And I hope that we see her come through this and get back to her confident self with all of the humility built in from these experiences. All right, it's time for my favorite part of our podcast, the awards. Roxanne and I are both nice people and we love Ted Lasso. So we thought we shared that love by giving out awards each week in a variety of fun categories. First up, MVP. MVP! MVP! My MVP is Roy. I think it was his episode. I think that we got to see how important he is to the team and how much the players respect him and what he's actually willing to do uh, to support the team, including putting to bed an age-old beef with Trent Krim and order off the vegan menu as Ted put it, 
Yeah, I agree with exactly everything you said. Like, obviously, returning to Chelsea was probably a big deal for him, and he handled it pretty well, especially with the big speech at the end. Like, honestly, half of me thought that he was just going to storm off with a no or fuck off or something, but he actually opened up and explained his feelings about the whole situation. That was such an amazing moment. I'm so glad that Roy chose to actually talk about his feelings. And now on the other end of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. Let's see what we got here. Wanker. Well, I think that you all already know who I'm going to name the wanker of the week. It's Rupert. I mean, the depths of his evil. I, we just We see him descend to levels of wankery that I didn't think that he would actually go to, but we're really seeing it. Um, So he's my wanker. He's the original wanker. He's, again, the wankiest wanker to ever wank. Rupert's lucky for this category because Nate was absent this week. I think it was the first episode that Nick Muhammad wasn't in. Yeah, no, he wasn't in this at all, except in name when, when Rupert mentioned him. Which meant that this category was just a one horse race and... No competition. I do have a fun wanker of the week, though. Tell me. I like fun wankers. So now that we've started the new season of Ted Lasso, our podcast has a lot of new listeners as well. So thanks, everyone, for joining along with us. You might not know that my co-host, Chris San, has cancer, but luckily she's doing well because of the infusion treatments that she's been getting. Which is to say that if we have the technology to keep people alive who are dealing with cancer... How do we not have asparagus that doesn't make your pee pungent? Like, <laughs> I know you would think that that would be some sort of a medical advancement that would be in somebody's best interest, namely the asparagus eaters, wives and friends. So to just paraphrase um, what the people at Keeley's shoe said earlier, can't they just like fiddle around with the enzymes or something? <laughs> can't they just fiddle around with the enzymes? That's funny. Yeah, you would think that that would be something that they would want to achieve post-haste. I also love how in that scene that Zava did his own sniff test to to see how bad it was. Oh, God, that cracked me up. That was so funny. <laughs> Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? My award this week goes to one Danny Rojas. When Trent comes in and everybody stops talking and then Danny says, woo! And then immediately says, fuck off, Trent Krim. I just, I loved it so much because Danny is so sweet all the time and he doesn't curse. And it was such an unusual and odd thing to hear Danny curse, but it was so perfect. For mine, I know I said we try not to give it to Roy every week, but he makes it so damn hard. So the scene he had with Jamie was gold from just beginning to end, but especially when he said, what's that fucking face? (laughs) Because obviously with season one Jamie, he's like literally laughing at Sam and stuff. Definitely did not expect empathy. So I definitely understand Roy's reaction to being confused at what that fucking face was. I know. <laughs> just the way Phil Dunster played that. Oh my God. I was thinking that same thing too. Like, what is that fucking face? <laughs> so, since both us and you, the listeners, love the award so much, we had a couple of new ones this week. 
First one is, to quote Higgins in the Christmas episode, It's going to make me cry. So what's one moment that made you really emotional? I think it was when the fans started chanting, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. And Roy finally stood up. And then we see Keely looking on. And when that moment happened, I was just, I welled up. It made me cry. Because it was so, it was like a combination. It was like a combo punch right to the heart. You know, you're feeling all of this elation for Roy, and then you're feeling his sadness, and then you're looking over and you're seeing Keely watch him with both love and admiration and also a sense of sadness as well, the bittersweetness of watching somebody that she loved so dearly be applauded by his fans. Ooh, that was a powerful moment for me. Yeah, I was going to pick the exact same moment, but I guess... You covered all the bases, but one thing I would add is it's a pretty simple formula. Roy Kent plus Roy Kent chant tears. Yeah. Yep. It's a formula. 100%. And for our other new award... I found it hilarious. I thought it was funnier than Step Brothers. What's the most hilarious line scene in this episode for you, Chrisanne? Well, I want to say everything, but some of the funniest moments for me were when Danny Rojas scored with his face and they did... They, they took the bit and they melted a little bit. And so finally he did end up scoring with his face and then... Chekhov's face. <laughs> the funny scene for me kind of almost didn't involve any words at all. Well, technically on one side we had Trent Krim on the phone, but Roy just slowly popping the... I was... God, man. Like I Honestly, I wish that they took like an extra episode for Roy to forgive Trent just so we could have like see what other new inventive ways that Roy would have to get Trent out of the room. Oh my God, that was so funny. Oh, perfect timing too. I mean, so good. Brett Goldstein is so brilliantly funny. I just have to call out the callback with the gifts on Roy's desk. Somebody gave him white orchids, which is a callback to when he begins as a pundit in season two episode. Uh, the episode is called Lavender. Uh, where Jamie Carragher sends him white orchids. How did he know white orchids were my favorite? And so there's white orchids on Roy's desk, which I thought was just so many callbacks. There's another callback when Jamie um, says that the fans won't be happy about Zava being there. And of course, all of the fans are so happy, which is the same reaction that people had about him returning to Richmond. And of course, the fans sang Jamie Tart. Da 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 Jamie Tart da 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 I love that they layer in so many callbacks and there's just so much canon to paint with and to use that make the episodes so layered and exciting to me. I mean, I, I think they do it for all of us diehard fans because it makes the episodes so interesting and so much fun. So to go back to your point about the gifts on Roy's desk, Am I the only one that thought that the card with the fishes was going to be from Sam? Because, you know, be a goldfish, right? Be a goldfish. Oh, that's so sweet. It wasn't from Sam. No, it wasn't from Sam. It was from Liza. Our next award for best fashion. She's fucking fat! And I know everybody is probably expecting me to give this one to one Rebecca Welton, but I'm actually going to give it to Paul. Because he looks dynamite in a top hat and tails. And I love that he did that. I love Paul. 
I love Paul very much. He's one of my favorites. And uh, I'm giving it to him this week. And it worked out well because that meant that they were all dressed up for Zava. Exactly. We're back in the Premier League. Pip, pip. And for our final award of the week, since I'm a writer and I love Ted Lasso, Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. Bending the rules a little bit, but it is my award. So technically, Rebecca was the only one that said anything in the conversation with Zava. So you could say maybe it's like one line, right? You absolutely can, Kevin. I agree. 100%. It was one line. But to try to play by the rules, I'll pick one line, but it's actually not dialogue. So you'll notice there's a part where Rebecca stops talking and the subtitles say, urinating pauses, then continues. <laughs> I thought that was just hilarious. That was the longest dream I think I've ever heard. And I think that pause was perfectly timed. Yes. Is that your line of the week? The pause? Yeah. And I want to say the whole thing was really well done too, because if it was just Rebecca berating him for however long it was, it probably would have came off a bit harsh, but then having that pause in the middle for comedic effect and then the aforementioned asparagus, then it really helped lighten the mood a lot. Yeah, it really did. Yep. And it felt so Rebecca. So there was a lot of buzz about this new character, Zava, and you might be wondering why. For Roy Kent, you might know that he's based on former footballer Roy Keane, who played for Man United. As for Zava, in an interview with USA Today, the actor who plays him, Max Ozinski, confirmed that one of the main inspirations was Zlatan Ibrahimovic. To just pull up his Wikipedia quickly, he is quote-unquote regarded as one of the greatest strikers of all time and one of the most decorated active footballers in the world, having won 34 trophies in his career, and he scored over 570 goals. And just quickly, some of the teams he's played for, he's currently with AC Milan, has also played with Man United, as well as Paris Saint-Germain, LA Galaxy in the States, as well as Barcelona, and very interestingly for people who know, Ajax Amsterdam. He's also infamous for headbutting people as well. That's actually something I read about him. And you might remember when he meets Rebecca Welton, he says, you are honored to meet Zava. Zlatan actually talks in the third person, so <laughs> that just gives you an idea of the kind of uh, character he, that he is. That's going to be interesting. I mean, if he takes all comers with a headbutt, if they get in his way, and he's the accidental hero, I'm excited to see what he's going to do this season and how especially Jamie will uh, will respond to his presence on the team. Yeah, that was another thing I was going to mention because I feel bad for Jamie because out of all the players, he's really the only one that did not seem excited because he plays the same position as Jamie, essentially. And for those of you who've seen the preview for next week's episode, it's called 451, which is a new change in formation. Presumably the one will be Zava. So Jamie's going to have to play somewhere that he's not used to. And just with the whole journey he's been on, like learning to make the extra pass and being more of a team player, now he has to like even defer even more. Just feel bad for the guy. Well, I hope that Jamie is able to see the big picture because if Zava changes teams as much as they say he does, leaving nothing but trophies and chaos in his wake, that perhaps Zava will just be there to help them win the whole fucking thing. And then Jamie will actually be able to be the star striker when he departs, which probably won't be, you know, he probably won't stay very long if that's his way to continue to move around. So 
Big picture, big picture, everybody. An interesting tidbit, Max's wife is Dichen Lackman, who plays Miss Casey on Severance, another acclaimed Apple TV Plus show. Nice. I love that. I love all of the uh, cross-pollination between the Apple TV shows. It's wonderful. To take this point right now and to something you said earlier, possibly the, be the greatest scene ever is if Harrison Ford's character on Shrinking was the therapist for Rebecca Welton. I would love to see that. I would absolutely love to see Paul counsel Rebecca. Oh my God, that would be great. Rebecca would have to be in the States for that though. Well, I mean, if she's moving to uh, Kansas with Ted, then... We shall see. All right, the whistle is about to blow on this episode, so we're into added time, throwing you some shots of noteworthy things that we saw from this episode. Speaking of time, these writers, I swear to God, so someone on Twitter timed the amount of time that it took for them to go into the players in the locker room and Danny saying that he wished for that 30 seconds ago. Guess how much time elapsed? Oh no, 30 seconds from the wish? Are you kidding me? You're kidding me. I'm dead serious. <gasps> Honestly, the amount of detail that goes in the show never ever ceases to amaze me. And I think that's why I love it so much. Because honestly, most shows I never rewatch. But Ted Lasso is one of the few that I actually do because literally see something new every time. You really do. That's amazing. I love the internet. And I love Ted Lasso. I mean, all hail the writer's room. One of the moments that happened in the show that we haven't talked about was when Beard was telling Ted that he was going to an immersive theater experience about menstruation and ted retorts well i hope you're not late that killed me like honestly ted was on fire this entire episode because with rory's return and rebecca trying to recruit zava they were the main storyline so that just gave ted the opportunity to just fire off as many jokes as he could oh god he was in perfect ted lasso form and can i please we i think we have to start an elvis costello tracker for this podcast because the title I don't want to go to Chelsea is an Elvis Costello song and him you know he's one of my favorite artists as well so I just I feel like we need to give him due credit or credit where credit's due I wonder who the Elvis Costello fan is on on the on the squad there's probably quite a few if they've referenced him that many times I know I think it's brilliant I want to say that it's a missed opportunity that they didn't get Jamie to pronounce the word Chelsea, especially with his accent. <laughs> I have another music shout out. Uh, aside from the Elvis Costello tracker, um, they opened the episode with one of my favorite bands, Pomplamoose, who did the Bill Withers Lizzo mashup. And I really have to hand it to the music supervisors. They are killing it. All throughout the entire episode and then, you know, the melancholy last scene, which, you know, is about being, the, the song was about being far from home. And I have to say, they use music so creatively on this show that it just adds, you know, another layer, another layer to emote about and um, express emotion. So I'm just in awe. Music is powerful. Like you said, Chrisanne, it felt like this entire episode was jokes. We could probably just go on listing them all. So just try to list just a couple more. Bring it on. Danny's line about how he's nervous to play in front of Zava is like, 
I haven't been this nervous to play in front of someone since I was in El Chapo's youth league. Oh my God. I hope we get a little bit more depth about Danny too, and that he's not just such a one note player. I mean, that's was so funny, but I really hope that it means that we're getting more depth. Hit me with another one. When they're coming out of halftime and then Arlo and Chris were talking about, do you think Richmond made any adjustments? And then Chris says something along the lines of, well, professional athletes don't mind adjusting themselves in public either. And then you can see Bumbercatch grabbing his crotch. That was such a good one too. Oh, and then uh, Chris Powell also saying that uh, he scored with every part of his body, which I thought was very funny and body. Oh, another W for the Twitter detectives. Lauren Pokedoff had a close-up of the scene where Roy is threatening everyone to not talk to Trent. And then you can just see Phil's face go through like an entire range of like motions because he's trying so hard not to break. I love that those two crack each other up so much. It must be really hard not to crack up when you're in that room. I would fail miserably. Yeah, to paraphrase something Brett said, every time him and Phil are in a scene, they make Apple lose millions of dollars because they just laugh at each other all the time. So we almost saw that come to fruition right there. We enjoy making this podcast as much as Rebecca Welton likes saying Zabba Dabba Doo. So we hope you enjoy listening to it too. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a 5-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at TedLassoIsLife. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward.